0: You a half hour, and so I hope you'll be able to concentrate on the after-death communications you experienced with your wife and son, and uh, also your experience of unconditional love that you felt from the other side.
1: Awesome, that would be uh, that would be perfectly fine,ly.
0: Okay, I'm just going to let you uh, take off with that, then, Jeff.
1: Okay, great, and thank <laughs> you for having me. It is a pleasure to to be here, and. Um and I will concentrate on the, uh, the out-of-body or near-death experiences that I had. As you outlined in the intro, I um, had a horrific automobile accident. It's now been 19 years, so I can speak of it. Um, I, I couldn't speak of it for 10 years. See? I mean, I really didn't say much about it. My immediate family knew what had happened to me, but there was so much grief and pain associated with the accident and the fact that I was driving the car... Uh, Mm. It was just very difficult to speak about it. But what happened is we had a severe rollover. I lost control of the car. It was on cruise control at 75 miles an hour. The car rolled not off the road, but down the road, probably rolling no less than six or eight times, Mm. the accident reports say. And in that accident, I did lose my, my wife and my youngest son. My oldest son and I... Uh, survived the accident, Uh, he not being too terribly injured. I mean, he was banged up, but he basically walked away from the scene. I, on the other hand, had severe injuries. Not only were my legs crushed, my back was broken, my rib cage was crushed and collapsing, and uh, I had some severe shoulder injuries, and then the seatbelt came through me and ruptured all my insides, all my intestines. Now, the interesting part of this is at that point, and here I am fully conscious, and I can hear my seven-year-old, my oldest son, crying in the back seat, and I knew I had to get to him, uh, and that's when I realized I couldn't move, and it's when I also realized that the other two members of our family uh, were, were deceased, and that was an awful, horrific place to be, and I, I, I I bring that up to contrast it with what happened, because in that absolute mayhem, there was a calmness that came. As I knew I was losing consciousness, and I was able to barely speak to my surviving son, I told him it would be okay, and yet I remember feeling that that was a lie, it certainly was not okay, and I was losing consciousness, but there was an absolute calmness that came over me. And it felt as if I was raising above the scene of the accident. And this was interesting and shocking and strange to me. And as I realized that I was actually okay, and that I had all this calm, it felt like a bubble of light around me, I realized that my wife, Tamara, who I knew was deceased at the accident, was actually there with me, and she was okay except she was emphatic that I that I, that I I couldn't come with her, that I couldn't go, that I had to stay, that I had to go back. And that was a profound moment, because here I was looking at the woman I loved more than life, and yet I also was very much aware that I had a little boy crying in the back of that car that would be orphaned if I continued uh, this journey. And so I made a choice, I made a decision to come back, and that's that's how powerful our thoughts are. I mean, as soon as I had the conscious thought that I was coming back, I actually found myself wandering around in a hospital. Now, I had no concept of time in this raise, raising up above the scene and this goodbye to my wife. Um, I later found out people arrived at the scene. They rushed me and my surviving son to a local hospital, and they were life blighted into uh, Salt Lake City. But I didn't experience any of that. I was saying the most profound goodbye I would ever say and then found myself wandering through this hospital. And here's where it became incredibly interesting because everyone I saw, the patients, the doctors, the nurses, the families of patients, everyone I saw, I, I knew them absolutely perfectly. In fact, I felt them. I felt this undeniable connection, even though they were strangers in this realm. I felt this undeniable connection. I knew everything about them. I knew their love. I knew their hate. I knew their motivations for everything they'd ever done. I knew their choices. And I was feeling the, the experiences of their life, whether that was joy or abuse or, you know, whatever it was. I, I knew them as if I was them. I knew them as well as I knew myself, and I was experiencing this absolute oneness. And it was coupled with such unconditional love, absolute unconditional love, and it didn't matter who they were, their station in life. I mean, everyone from the heroin addict to the the saintly grandmother, they were beautiful to me, and uh, and I was overwhelmed with, with love for them. And I was just taking this whole experience in and marveling at it, really, as I wandered about, and then I came to a a body or a man that I I didn't feel anything from, and I thought this was odd. And as I stepped closer, I realized I was looking at me. I was looking at myself. However, I was me. I was this soul, this being experiencing this absolute undeniable connection and unconditional love, and yet there was my body, the, uh, the vehicle, if you will, that I had been traversing this life in. And that was also a very profound moment as I looked upon the body, or what I recognized as me, and realized I was to get back in it. Mm. And here again, that's where thoughts became so powerful. I, I didn't have to figure out how to get into the body. I, I simply fought it, and, and then boom, I was back in the body, and uh, back to all the pain, the grief, the remorse, the regret, the horrific physical injuries. Um, and that uh, that led into, as you also outlined, almost a six month hospital stay. I was three months in ICU. I was ventilated, um, you know, had a respirator, and I could not speak. Obviously, my legs were immobile. My left one was amputated. My right arm was immobile because of all the shoulder injuries. Um, and then they eventually tied down the left arm because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment, the respirators, the IVs, all of the tubes and needles and what have you. And I uh, i learned a whole new meaning of be still. I mean, where I laid, I couldn't speak, couldn't get up, couldn't move, and I continued to have some pretty profound spiritual experience throughout those months as well, uh, seemingly having one foot in this realm and one foot in the next.
0: You were in communication with your wife during this time, weren't you?
1: I, I was, and it's interesting, and I'll, I'll cover that quickly, because it was it was really strange, and it wasn't there wasn't a tunnel of light. It wasn't like a, you know, it, it was almost as as easy as walking from one room to the next. It was like a threshold. It was like a walking through a doorway, and I knew I was either in this realm or that realm. But I did have mm. communication with my deceased wife, which was, Comforting because I I had left her in a state where she was actually quite upset. She was crying when she told me you can't come. You know you can't you can't come with me. And so it was quite relieving for me to have these these dreamlike uh, conversations with her. But you know, when I say dreamlike, it's interesting because that was so real. I mean now this this realm and this life that we're going on this seems like the foggy strange dream. And in that other realm, it seems so real. But my my wife was sharing interesting things with me that almost seemed trivial, except some of them were not. But she, you know, she wanted her cousin to have one of her special rings. She wanted her niece to have the other one. She wanted her sister-in-laws to have her fancy dresses and, and things like that. But she, she also let me know that she wanted to be buried with, with Griffin, our, our baby, in her arms. He was only 14 months. He was just a toddler. And so she wanted to be buried in the same coffin, if you will, and and, and near our home so that Spencer, our surviving son, would have a place to come and feel close to mom. Now, the interesting thing about this whole scenario was the families were discussing all this. I mean, and I had wonderful family support, by the way, on both sides, but they they were planning a funeral. They were burying two of us. And the doctors were telling them that I may not make it either. It was touch and go with me for months. And um, my wife's family wanted to take them down to southern Utah, about five hours away from our home. And my family was saying, well, gosh, but if Jeff dies, shouldn't they be buried together? And perhaps, you know, we don't know if we want to go have him five hours away. And what about Spencer? What about this little boy who was only seven? You know, what are we going to do with him? So there was all this turmoil and discussion going on with the family. Yes. And it's interesting at that time, after I'd been having these conversations, these out-of-body communications with my deceased wife, and it's almost laughable, there was an insurance problem. I had been life-flighted into a hospital that was not in my insurance network, and therefore the insurance companies wanted to transfer me to another one, which threw everybody into a tailspin. But the insurance company won out, and I was to be transferred. But the, the ambulance crew came in and refused to move me. They said, we don't want the liability. We can't, we can't transfer this patient. They literally had to bring Life Flight in again to move me some two-and-a-half miles from the one hospital I was in to the one that was in my insurance network. But the interesting point, and the reason I bring this up, is in the process of doing that, they removed the respirator briefly. And I was able to speak, not very well, but I was able to communicate to key family members that were there the conversations I'd been having with my deceased wife about where she wanted to be buried and how and why that was important. And the family uh, honored that and uh, was able to see that through. She had even shared with me the the song she wanted sung at her funeral services. It was a little Celtic uh, lullaby, if you will. But anyway, I was able to communicate oh. all that, and the family honored those wishes. And so, yeah, during those times in the hospital, I did have communication with my deceased loved ones and from the other side.
0: Pretty amazing. Now, yeah,
1: I think the, you interesting meant interesting Lee, and it, it's it's you know everybody thought it was falling apart. You know, when the when the insurance company demanded I be transferred, we all thought it was all falling apart, and the reality is it was literally falling into place. You know, had they not transferred me, had they not removed that respirator, I would have never been able to share these conversations, these feelings, these requests, and the family would have been left in turmoil to figure it out for themselves and and most likely would have taken them to southern Utah and would have been miles away. And the way it all played out for my son and, and I to have a place to go You know, not that my wife and son were there, but that's where they were buried. I mean, it was a place to feel close, and it was a safe place to go and and steal them, if you will.
0: I think it's interesting, too, that even when we're on the other side, things like this matter to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it almost seems trivial, given all that was going on, but she did have her wishes. And I was able to carry those out.
0: So we stay that close, we stay that linked to our to that previous life that we've just left.
1: That, that was uh, my experience, yes. Yeah.
0: One of the things you mentioned in your talk was that uh, a trauma nurse saw you surrounded by light and also, also saw uh, Tamra.
1: Yes, um, they shared that with me months later. Like I said, I spent months in the hospital and they actually came to the other hospital. To speak with me about that, it was she and one of the trauma doctors, and she had somewhat of a paranormal or interesting spiritual experience as they brought me in, because just as you said, she viewed that I was surrounded by light, and she saw a female form standing with me there, and, and she shared that she, um, she felt pure love, true love. And uh, the interesting thing in her personal life, um, she had prayed that morning, Wondering if true love existed and then had that experience on her next shift in the hospital.
0: Wow. (laughs) And there were other things you saw in the hospital as well.
1: Yeah, there there were. I mean, one of the most profound things uh, played out at the very end of my hospital stay. I mean, I'd been there for months and I... I had been. I kept throwing pulmonary embolisms, you know, blood clots that would lodge in my lungs, and I was I was a very sick uh, young man. But I eventually healed, and and I eventually became more well, and I had moved from ICU into surgical recovery, and I was actually in the rehabilitation wing. They were working on seeing if I could stand on my on my one remaining leg, which also has six pins and a plate and uh, holding it together. It was crushed very badly, but. I was literally um, done with all the major surgeries. I was off of all the narcotics. I was uh, simply taking some Tylenol for pain and getting ready to come home. And uh, I remember going to sleep one night, and, and I, it was uh, I, so memorable because I was finally able to sleep on my side. I had laid on my back so long I had rubbed the back of my head bald, literally from being in bed that long on my back. the abdominal injuries from the seatbelt cutting to me were so severe that they had had to leave the wounds open because of infection. And and um, I was finally stabilized to where I could lay on my side and and sleep, and I fell into a deep sleep that night. And in that sleep, I began to feel that rise, that light again, the same the same feeling at the scene of the accident, where it was this beautiful, absolute calmness, this unconditional, loving almost tangible lights around me, and I felt that, that rise, that, that lift. And um, as I was feeling that, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, I, I remember this. This is like a dream, but it was so real. And as I rose and lifted and, and the, the bubble of light or this feeling around me began to disperse, I, uh, I found myself in an absolutely beautiful, beautiful place. And the only word I can put on it is home. It felt like home. It felt as if I had always been there, as if I had I, I belonged there. It was so welcoming to me. It was home, and I I began running, and uh, you know just and it was such a physical experience. I could feel the ground under my feet. I could feel the energy, you know, fire up through my foot, through my ankle, into my calf, and into my thigh. I I had been a Division One athlete before the accident, and I knew I wouldn't be running around like I ever used to. But in this experience, I was running and I was feeling it and I was loving it and I was enjoying it. And as I just raced around basking in this this beautiful place and this beautiful feeling, I got the message that I wasn't there to stay. And about the time that came, I I realized or I noticed there was this corridor off to my left. Um, And I knew intuitively that I was to go down that corridor. And I did. I began working my way down the corridor. And as I progressed down that hallway, if you will, I realized there was a crib at the end of the corridor, and so I I raced to the crib, and when I peeked over and looked in the crib, there was my little boy. There was my little griffin sleeping peacefully and beautifully. And I, I swept him up, and I held him, and that was a very physical experience, too. I could feel his body against mine, I could feel him breathing. I could feel the heat from his body. I could feel his breath on my neck. And I just marveled and began to weep, holding my little boy, thinking I, I really get to say goodbye. And it took me years to share this with anyone. I know there's a lot of people that lose loved ones and they don't get to say goodbye. And yet here I was holding him. And as I wept and marveled at that, I, I literally felt a presence come up behind me, and it was so overwhelming. I mean, it was so powerful and so cosmic and so wise, and, and I, I was overwhelmed. I did not dare turn around. I, I knew in my heart that I was, I was in the presence of God. I, I, I felt this overwhelming presence. And yet, as it came closer, I also realized it was absolutely loving and it was so personal I mean as I was there holding my little boy and just marveling at that I felt this divine being come up behind me and literally hold me wrap arms around me and as I was embraced it's almost as if we just melded into one and the whole universe just expanded it was as if just a huge download came into my mind and my heart, and I did have what I've learned they call a life with you. I saw my life, and I saw me as a little boy, and I saw my parents get divorced, and I saw all the things I had done to cover up my insecurities about that. I saw my brothers and how they'd always been by my side. I saw saw the mistakes I made, and yet in those arms I knew there was no mistakes. It was all in perfect order. I I saw the things I did wrong, or that I had judged as wrong, and I knew they were wrong, and I did them anyway. And yet in those arms, there was absolutely no judgment. All I felt was pure, unconditional love. In fact, it felt as if the entire universe was honoring me, was saying, look how much we love you. Look at your life. Look how much we honor your choices. Look how much we honor your growth and your learning." And there was absolutely no judgment. Now, this was interesting for me. I had grown up in a good Christian home, and I was a little bit afraid of God and the fact that I might be judged. But all I felt was pure, unconditional love, and I realized the only judgments on my life were mine. I was the one saying, oh, that was bad, that was good. And yet all that love simply said, boy, what are you learning? (laughs) You know, what are you learning, and look how much we love you and support your learning and... I also learned a lot about choice. Um, I was there holding my little boy, and this divine, overwhelming, loving being communicated to me, not not through words, but through absolute feeling, that I, I could make a choice, you know, that I could feel as if God had torn my family away, or I could be angry and beat myself up for the rest of my life because I was driving the car. In that beautiful, perfect moment I had a choice. In fact what I was told or what was communicated is I could I could give my son I could give my son back and even my wife if I chose and I would be exercising some agency or will in that. I would be exercising my freedom to say I I give them back rather than feeling as if they were taken away and that could shift things. And in that perfect beautiful moment I was able to kiss my little boy and, and give him back. And um, and then I woke up back in the hospital bed, back to the pain and the grief and the injuries. But I, I did have a little bit different insight. And um, it, it still took years, but, uh, but I, had, I had some new insights.
0: Jeff, uh, would you say, would you interpret this uh, ability to make that kind of a decision free um, free will? And is is free? How are free? How do you see free will and love tied together?
1: Well, this is how I see it now because I, having felt that love and that lack of judgment, and having wandered through the hospital and seeing people in their absolute perfection, I mean, it didn't matter what they had done or what they hadn't done. I knew we were all divine. I mean, in, in those arms, I felt that I was divine. And and if I am, I promise you, you are. I. Hmm. Uh, I felt this unconditional love, and so taking on the world and choosing to love people, choosing to see past, you know, their appearance or, or, or choices they may have made, and looking at them as if they are divine beings, the divine children of God, if you will, um, it made a big, big difference, and, and yet I struggled for years. I mean, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression that I, you know, had this horrible accident and then had a spiritual experience, and then I was okay. That's not the way it played out. I had the horrible accident. I had absolute profound experiences, but it took 10 years. And the bottom line, when it really broke open for me, Lee, was about 10 years after the accident when I realized that I was loving everyone around me, but I wasn't loving myself. You know, that pure, unconditional love was something I deserved to have. I deserve to love myself and forgive myself and to look at the world through eyes that not only loved all those around me, but loved me, and then, you know, I I mentioned I came up in a Christian home. All of a sudden, things began to make sense. I mean, it's the figure, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I realized that loving ourselves is the beginning of that phrase, not necessarily the end. I I can't give what I don't have, and in, in loving myself, I can therefore love the world around me and suddenly... There's miracles suddenly there's beauty and nothing has really changed except me.
0: The uh, sorting out between uh, ego love and heart love <laughs> of self yeah. uh, is uh, <laughs> it takes takes probably some shattering in our lives to to be able to sort those two things apart from one another.
1: Yeah. I, I think so, and, um, you know, I, I mean, everybody has their turn, and our, our lives are so different and diverse, and our belief systems are so different and diverse, but, but universally. I mean, our, our emotions tie us together universally. We, we all know what it's like to feel pain or feel joy or feel fear or feel love, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the connection. And, and from my perspective at this point in my life, all there is is love. And if we can embrace that, that's
0: what changes the world. In your talk, you remarked on uh, an interesting incident. I think it was in response to a question someone asked: uh, If you're, if you are going to be uh, remembered at all or acknowledged at all in the next life, it may be because you hugged a homeless guy.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Tell us <laughs> that little story. Well, I'm glad you brought it up, Lee. I mean, the little things are the big things. I I was leaving the office one day, and we have homeless people here in downtown Salt Lake, and one of them came up to me, and I had taken the bus to work, and my wife had come down. It was a Friday night. I've remarried, by the way, to a beautiful woman, and we've adopted two children, and we're, you know, now carrying on a a whole new life, but she had come to pick me up, and we were going to go to dinner on a Friday night, and this homeless guy came and stopped me in the street and, of course he wanted money and I was hurrying to get to the car and something just told me. It's like a, you know, that voice in your heart. You don't hear it in your ears, but you hear it in your heart, it said, Just look at him. And I looked at him and all of a sudden I saw my brothers, I saw my father, I saw myself. And before I even realized what I was doing, I just reached out and embraced him. I just I just gave him a big old hug. And he began to weep, and that brought tears to my eyes, and then I, I, I heard myself say as if I wasn't even controlling it, but I, as I embraced him, I said into his ear, I said, I know who you are. And in saying that, meaning I, I know that you're a divine being, I know that you're my brother, I know that we're connected. And he repeated back to me, I know you know. And then we pulled apart, and I'm sure my wife was thinking, "What are you doing hugging the homeless people?" <laughs> we, we both had tears in our eyes, and I would have given him everything in my wallet, and yet suddenly he didn't want that anymore. He simply basked in the acknowledgement that we had connected as, as as souls, and mm. I acknowledged his existence and his divinity, regardless of his station. And that was a, the, the lesson was for me. I got more yes. out of that than anyone else, but yeah, things like that pop up and it's those little things that become the big things in our lives.
0: Thank you so much for telling us that. Unfortunately, Jeff, we're out of time for today. and uh, But my thanks to you for describing uh, all that you lost and all that you've gained and learned from um, your accident and for teaching from your experience about the healing power of love. Um, If the listeners would like to hear the show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANs and our upcoming conference in July in Orlando, Florida, please visit that website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.